The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest and member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks yeah. for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Father, there was some uh, rather uh, impactful news today uh, here in, in Cincinnati area, I guess, in, in Ohio. At large, we had our uh, Governor Mike DeWine issued a, a new order where he mandated that children uh, in the uh, kindergarten through 12th grades must wear face masks as they return to classrooms this fall. Uh, so he says, uh, this is a quote here from Governor DeWine, I'm announcing today that we will be issuing an order that reflects this policy statewide. This gives us the best shot to keep Ohio's kids and educators safe and physically in school. Uh, let's see. So, <clears throat> just if I if I may, Father, I wanted to uh, read through. Uh, it says here the the new health department order was announced Tuesday by the governor with a few exemptions. I'd like to read some of these exemptions here to you. It says uh, that children under the age of two are exempt. Any child unable to remove the face covering without assistance, a child with significant behavioral or psychological issues undergoing treatment that is exacerbated by a facial covering a child living with severe autism or with extreme developmental delay who may become agitated by a mask, a child with facial obstruction that causes an airway obstruction. Uh, so these are some of the exemptions that they list for the order. Father, he says uh, that we are working with FEMA to distribute two million masks to schools for use by students and staff. We'll deliver these to regional education service centers serving as our distribution partners so schools and families have access to the resources they need for the coming school year. He says that we uh, face a new reality, that um, this is kind of the essential thing that we must do to get our children back in the classroom. But Father, what, what is your, what is your um, re response to this, this um, mandate that he has issued here requiring that all students uh, in Ohio kindergarten through 12th grade or returning to school must wear the face covering while in school. How would you respond to that? Well, Tom, when you ask me that question, okay, uh, you're asking me personally, my personal thought on that, right? Sure. So uh, the program is what Catholics believe, you know, and, uh, we would uh, want to analyze it insofar as it might relate somehow to the Catholic faith. Uh, my personal response to it, though, hopefully, you know, uh, in, in a Catholic sense, um, might not be, be universal, certainly. It's not a theological response, okay? But uh, we're told over and over again by these great experts in medicine and politics, we're told by these great experts, social life and all the rest, to follow the science, we're told follow the science, follow the science, and if one doesn't, and one doesn't uh, do what they say, he's not following the science. Right? 
but I would say of such an order as this, this is not only not following the science. We're talking about not faith here. We're talking about science, okay? Which is what? Which is their faith? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what they say. We have to do. Uh, this this absolutely makes a mockery of all the science with regard to these masks. The 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 idea of wearing face masks to ward off this virus is absolute nonsense. Uh, and and in fact, on every single level regarding this this pandemic, uh, every single level, the numbers with regard to children being infected, being infectious, uh, the impact on the youngsters, uh, the fact whether the youngsters are even generally carriers and, and you know, what, what record there is, what any scientific data there may be with regard to the children taking this virus home with them and infecting others and so on, infecting each other. All of that speaks against this. All of that says this is absolute nonsense, okay? And it is. It is complete and absolute nonsense. Uh, I heard the beginning of uh, Governor DeWine's uh, statement today. And uh, he kept saying, well, people are saying, do something. Everybody going, here, do something, do something, do something. Well, they're, they're actually, I think what they really mean is do something intelligent. You know, do something reasonable, do something rational, do something helpful. Not just do something, that's just reacting uh, irrationally, okay? But, um, but this seems to be what our politicians, and I stress the word politicians, not statesmen, that seems to be what our, what our politicians are in for, doing something because they can, because it's an exercise of power. And they think that they are earning their keep by interfering with other people's lives, everyone else's lives, right? I think this is cruel. I don't think it's only nonsense. I think it's just cruel to do this to children. Children need oxygen. They need to breathe. They need to play. They need to run. They need exercise. And uh, they, they need to focus. They, they need the oxygen in their system. I mean, they're growing, right? They're little furnaces, right? They burn oxygen. Their brains burn oxygen very rapidly. And to, to um, put this barrier, which it is in the way, I mean, look, the only way this, this so-called mask can, can provide any protection against a virus, you know, as small as it is, is if it fit tightly and if it, uh, you have to actually suck air through it, right? And this restricts your, your, your breathing. And uh, otherwise, it's, it's, it's less than useless because it collects all of the bacteria in your own system. Mm -hmm. And um, the sputum and everything. I mean, think of kids. I mean, kids always, their noses are running uh, when they're healthy. I mean, their mouths are going you know, they're, when, they're, when they're healthy. And these masks are not going to be cleaned properly, right? Uh, they're going to have to take them off when they eat. And, you know, uh, certainly that. They're going to be falling on the floor, People, I mean, even in their lunchroom. It's anybody who, 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 these rules evidently are being made by people who, who, uh, who have no experience. They, they, they act as though they have no experience with children. And I can't believe they don't have that experience. So I can't understand why they're thinking that this could possibly work. 
for the for the welfare for the benefit of the children or the teachers or anybody um this is the kind of thing that personally i'm just speaking personally now i think has so if not destroyed it has certainly undermined whatever confidence people might have in their governors their mayors um health officials i mean here you have the 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 big uh leading health official the head of the national you know naiad right um anthony fauci who wanted questioning from uh jim jordan mm-hmm. of ohio uh, in congress cannot or will not acknowledge okay that these protests uh with the proximity of the people shouting and screaming and so on with or without masks many without masks that that is a a hotbed for spreading this virus okay but singing hymns in church is right um he would not acknowledge it he would not acknowledge it and if this is so patent and so obvious when you have a public official like that held up for everybody and and he is so patently partisan in this you just lose all respect for for the man and unfortunately it it just leads you to lose respect for the institution too Mm -hmm. it it drags down the very idea of what medicine is in this country you know what it reminded me of when i heard that that exchange between jim jordan congressman jordan and uh and anthony fauci i thought of the statement made by uh uh, Roberts, the Supreme Court Justice, John Roberts, right? when when President Trump referred to a, a judge who had issued some sort of off-the-wall ruling as an Obama judge, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts came out and rebuked President Trump publicly for saying that because there is no such thing as an Obama judge, no such thing as a Clinton judge, right? I guess there's no such thing as a Trump judge either. Tell it to Nancy Pelosi and her <laughs> friends. <laughs> They're all judges. They just follow, you know, jurisprudence and precedent and, and law. And you know something? That is so pat- patently false. When you see the voting patterns on the court and you see this block of leftist judges appointed by you know, Obama and the rest of them. And they're constantly judging the way they do. To say that there is no such thing as an Obama judge and that they're all totally indifferent and they, 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 they're objective in applying the law and so on, that is so patently false. It just makes you lose respect for the, the person involved. And it makes you wonder, well, is that person uh, really that foolish that he really believes what he just said? Or is he a liar who doesn't believe what he just said? But he's pursuing a political agenda. I mean, he's partisan. Um, or is he just weak? What is it? But, but it's something that is so patently false, though. You can't just accept it because the person said it. It's manifestly not true. And so it was with Fauci, uh, Anthony Fauci being interrogated by, uh, by Jim Jordan. It was, mm-hmm. it was manifest that he was simply would not admit the, the manifest truth, the obvious truth, uh, because it was not politically uh, 
acceptable, right? And he was there on, on a mission, and I'm sure all the Democrats in the room were cheering, very happy that he he simply adamantly refused to answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, Father, uh, Father let, let me ask you, do you think that this, this order by Governor DeWine and, and, and one similar to it, do you think that they are done honestly and in good faith? Do you think that they are, are you know, passing these these um, these orders out because they honestly believe that that is what's necessary, that that is actually going going to help keep us safer? Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I again personally, I'd have to say I don't know what's in uh, the mind of Governor Michael Dewine. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's in the mind of any of these people when they contradict themselves. And manifestly, with almost uh, delight, as though they're they're playing some kind of mental game with you. Doesn't inspire confidence. Now that that <laughs> that is a problem. Okay, yeah. when it yeah. becomes that obvious, yeah. uh, I think they're revealing what their mindset is. With Governor Dewine, I'm sorry, I'm actually sorry to say this, but I believe that he believes that this is the thing we need to do because he's convinced by others. <laughs> but I just think he's. Evidently, very. E I think he's very easily influenced. Mm -hmm. But I, mean, I don't think it's. He's a Republican uh, in name only, in the sense that he's a Republican who, who's decided to adopt yeah. the the modus operandi <clears throat> of a Democrat. I don't think he's a Republican, so to speak, or a Democrat or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> I don't think. I think he's. Time and time again, he's come out with these orders and then backed off yes. within 24 hours. Yes. Time and time again, because of the reaction. Now, again, I mean, this just completely destroys whatever confidence people have in the leadership. Yes, that they do things like that. But still, it's it's a lot wiser than sticking with a bad order. Yeah. But that you know, giving a bad order in the first place is 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 bad enough and then hopping back across the fence and saying well actually you know we changed our minds now about this as though we're playing some sort of a mind game with people but obviously what you're looking for is a leader who can make the right call yeah who can make the right call and stick to it regardless but here you've got the teacher teachers unions who are militating for not having school in, in the classrooms this year, but getting paid for it, nonetheless, see, getting paid for it. And I understand some of the teachers' unions are actually not only militating, uh, uh, you know, against having classroom instruction, but getting full pay for not having classroom instruction. Yes. But actually even perhaps drawing a premium from teaching uh, remotely and being dead set against having any substitutes mm -hmm. if they decide that they can't or won't do it. So the Indians, again, uh, might be putting pressure on him to, um, um, well, as I understand the order right now, it applies to kindergarten children and above. Well, actually, there it talks about even two-year-olds, right? Yes. Even two-year-olds. So... We begin to think we're getting being ruled by two-year-olds. So imagine the <laughs> prophet Isaiah in Chen, yeah. uh, Isaiah chapter three, verse four. They'll be ruled by children and the effeminate, and this is a punishment from God. Well, I think we're there. I think we're there, or we're getting there right now, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, we're getting to Isaiah chapter five, verse twenty. You know, both of those who call good evil and evil good, and I think we're there also. Right. But the idea is woe to those who do these things. 
So here we are. Um, uh, that, that this order supposedly applies to all the schools in Ohio, both public schools, government schools, and what they really are, government-operated schools, and private schools. Yes. All private schools. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, Tom, I, I don't have to be a prophet to foresee legal action here. I mean, I, I don't see everybody just uh, playing possum on this one. I think people did go along last March when the order came out and said, well, okay, I mean, we really don't know what we're dealing with. I mean, the health director here in Ohio comes out and says, well, we have, I think we have 100,000 cases of this virus in Ohio right now. She had no evidence. I think at that time there were five confirmed mm -hmm. cases of it, mm -hmm. whatever that meant back in the March, <clears throat> and extrapolated that into 100,000 cases. Yeah. Again, I mean, right from the start, this is off the rails. Mm-hmm. And, and Father, so. that, that's why it, it really seems, you know, you mentioned the, the science but uh, behind this, but <laughs> even if there's a, a lack of science, there's just a lack of, of common sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, anyone who has spent five minutes around a child knows that this, it, it causes more problems than it, than it possibly could solve. And that's mm -hmm. why it, it almost seems like it, it, it's like almost like a trial balloon to kind mm -hmm. of see how people will, will react to this mm -hmm. if, if they will kind of fight this or if they will just mm -hmm. go along. Um, it, it almost seems like they're, you know, just trying to pass the most ridiculous order possible mm -hmm. just to mm -hmm. see how many people <laughs> will go along with it, to what extent they'll go along mm -hmm. with it, and what kind of reaction. But there's so many who do. Yes. Because they're scared. Yes, absolutely. So the propaganda is frightening them to death about yeah. this. Yeah. And, um, you know, Tom, we're used to seeing pictures of people in other countries wearing masks. But they're totalitarian countries, like China. Yeah. You know, we're accustomed to seeing people over there. Uh, but we are becoming China. I mean, they're, they're trying to transform, transform the American people into uh, good uh, subjects of a totalitarian regimes, where they, uh, the, the latest uh, edict coming down the line, no matter how nonsensical it is, no matter how invasive it is, no matter how uh, repressive it is, Everybody gets in line, just gets in line, lines up for their mask. Yes, right? yes. And um, this, um, I, as I say, and I, I'm just telling you personally what I think, and because that's you asked, does the church have anything to teach about this? Well, of course she does. I mean, the church teaches that we do have human rights given to us by God, right? And that government uh, actually is there to protect those rights, <clears throat> not to deny them, mm -hmm. and not to threaten those rights. That's the purpose of government is to protect the rights that we have, the God-given rights we have. And when the, God, when the government uh, decides that uh, whatever, we don't have rights, we have only privileges uh, afforded by the government from day to day and subject to constant change, uh, this is a government that's out of control. This is not what the Catholic Church uh, understands as government, right? This is what the Catholic Church understands as tyranny. Um, you mentioned uh, common sense. I would say not only, not a, by the way, the Catholic Church believes in common sense too, <laughs> clearly. Uh, it might be not clear to everybody who's had their history uh, scrambled, whether they learned history, but the fact is, historically, the Catholic Church has always believed in common sense, but also common decency. And this offends not only against common sense, it offends against common decency. 
as you say, there's a price to pay. I mean, the children are suffering ill consequence in this. Not only children. I mean, I think everybody is suffering ill consequences from these from these mandates. And uh, isn't it enough that we've destroyed the economy now to the point where we have more suicides directly related to the shutdown than we have COVID-19, COVID-19 deaths? Yes. Okay. I mean, the director of the CDC, right, uh, just came out and said so, right? Redfield. And we have more suicides attributable to the shutdown. Uh, then we then we actually have any record of, of uh, COVID nineteen deaths. So, I mean, there are consequences of these these evil things that are being foisted on the people, being compelled, people are being compelled to do. And now we've got this looming vaccine that is going to come out of nowhere. Well, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming out of the veins of aborted children. It's coming out of their blood. Is where it's coming. And we're supposed to be injected by this, okay? And the United States military is being uh, being now uh, readied by President Trump to administer this, and uh, we see how that how easily that can go. But if the idea is again compulsion, 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 um, and to um, inflict these things that are very damaging on the on the people, um, well. This, this is not anything the Catholic Church itself would historically approve, if the contrary. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, if we could uh, transition to, to something a little uh, more, more inspiring. Uh, today is, is obviously the, the feast day of St. Dominic, one of the, the greatest saints in the history mm-hmm. of the Church, I, I believe. And uh, he certainly faced some very dark times in, in his day as well. How did he respond to those? Is there anything that we can learn from his example? Well, I mean, he's one of the greatest saints in the history of the church. Uh, his uh, feast is uh, traditionally a duplex, you know, not a duplex major or one of the t- double the second class. So, in that sense, I mean, uh, but I, I would say that, yes, I think both of us would consider him um, because of uh, his contribution to the faith. His contribution to the building up of the church. Yes, we'd consider him to be certainly a great saint. I, I believe, Father, that the uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, the the Pope who who canonized him, uh, the name escapes me at the moment. I believe he said that he he doubts um, he would doubt Saint Dominic's sanctity no more than he would doubt Saint Peter or Saint Paul's sanctity, and he kind of placed him on level with, with St. Peter and well, St. Paul. Well, he, so. he can say, I'm as convinced <clears throat> that St. Dominic is a saint as much as I am St. Peter and St. Paul. Yeah. That doesn't put him on the same level. <laughs> okay. But uh, regardless, I mean, this is, God knows this, right? Sure, yeah. God is the one who gives the places at his right hand and his mm. left. God the Father mm. to to uh, the Son of God. So, I mean, you know, well, I, I that's above my pay grade, <laughs> that's for sure. In any case, but I mean, I would concede the point that we both consider St. Dominic a great, great saint, you know. Yes. He was born in 1170. He was born at the time of the, the rise of the Albigensian heresy. It was not only um, necessary to oppose the Albigensian heresy, which was basically like uh, paganism. It was, it was basically Gnosticism reborn or uh, retooled uh, in, the, in the Middle Ages, right? In, in France, in uh, Albi in France is where it really had its headquarters. It was not only um, 
necessary to oppose this heresy because it was so virulent and so deadly to the faith. Uh, it's kind of a resurgent paganism, but it was it was dangerous to do so because there are those who who lost their lives standing up for the true faith. Uh, the Albigensians did not hesitate to to put someone to death over this. Their whole concept, their whole theology, um, didn't see much of a problem with that. Okay, we 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 have martyrs uh, on the rolls who are also great saints, but I won't I won't grade them here. <laughs> okay. Uh, Saint Peter martyr, Saint Peter of Verona was put to death uh, by precisely one of these, you know, who uh, found him to be too effective in 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 withstanding the the errors that they were teaching. So St. Dominic uh, rose to the occasion, um, and uh, actually his uh, religious order that he established was uh, approved under originally Innocent III in the year 1225-1226. And uh, about the same time St. Francis uh, had the, the Friars Minor, uh, the Franciscans, approved. So, I mean, you, you have a, a very rich history going back centuries now, the Order of Friars Preachers and the Order of Friars Minor, the, the Franciscans and the Dominican orders kind of growing up in, in history together. And uh, what a powerful force that was. God sends that in times of chaos and crisis. He, he responds to the prayers of the faithful by sending these great figures, like St. Dominic, St. Francis, St. Clair, Right, uh, and some of the other later centuries of Avila, and even in roughly our own time, I mean, centuries of the Child Jesus, who lived a very brief life, but a brilliant life. Now, there you have the Pope who canonized her, who considered said he considered her the greatest saint of of modern times. I mean, of the century she lived in, and there were great saints there. So, I mean, I defer to that judgment, <laughs> uh, but not my own in any case. But uh, St. Dominic, of course, taught the importance of the rosary. He was a man who understood that the, the most powerful theological arguments, the most compelling theological arguments delivered with this, the, the greatest rhetorical abilities were absolutely incapable of moving any soul without the grace of God within. In other words, when we speak, we reason, we argue, we might have great uh, public speaking powers, be very persuasive, but that will accomplish nothing unless there is the interior grace. The exterior graces that we provide can accomplish nothing unless the interior grace is there in the soul of the individual to accept the truth of what is being said. Because we can resist by a perverse will. We can resist by a weak will. We can resist truth, not only because of uh, just a, a bitterness towards the truth itself, but out of weakness, because the consequences would require us to change our ways. And so out of weakness or obstinacy, you know, we refuse to give way. It takes an interior grace from God to move that will to submit to truth. You know, one of the sins that is against the Holy Ghost is obstinacy in rejecting known truth. 
that the person knows it's true, and they obstinately resist it and rejects it. How often do we see that today? Apparently, right? It's one of the six sins that cry to heaven for vengeance, for which there can be no forgiveness. That's how grave this is, you know. And um, that's where the interior grace of God comes. Saint, Saint Augustine, with all his brilliance and his oratorical ability and his fervor, he understood. There's nothing he could do of any good for any soul without the grace of God active in that soul, moving that soul to overcome its vices, its weaknesses, in order to open the way for the truth. You know? So um, St. Augustine uh, was a great apostle of the rosary because he knew its power. St. Dominic, you mean? St. Dominic, I'm saying that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> See, I'm thinking of St. Augustine as being great. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, but St. Dominic knew this. St. Mm -hmm. uh, St. Augustine, as you know, uh, you know, had a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus long before yes. it yes. Uh, became what we know it to be today. But it was it's in, in, in seminally in, in his in his devotion. But yeah. you know, St. Dominic uh, believed the power of the Rosary, and he 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 saw in the life of our Blessed Lady with our Lord Jesus Christ. She, he saw there that great power. He saw that by praying the Rosary, we are actually uniting our hearts with the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady and filling our minds with the same thoughts that were her thoughts. She pondered in her heart the events of the life and death and resurrection of her Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This was, this was everything to her. This was the very meaning of her life. So is that so much so that at the wedding feast of Cana, I mean, she actually made the request that started our Lord on the way to Calvary for a mother to do that. I mean, how absolutely dedicated must she have been to the divine will that she, the mother, would ask the son to do this. And so St. Dominic understood, you know, in a sense, Our Lady's Immaculate Heart in a way that perhaps few others did, ever have, ever will. He was able to enter in there to that Immaculate Heart of Mary to uh, see the thoughts that animated her mind and the love that animated her to be the handmaid of the Lord. So um, he really took that as a model for himself so that where, as Our Lady called herself the handmaid of the Lord, St. Dominic um, took his name very seriously, Dominicanus, right? the dogs of the Lord, his own mother. His own mother had a vision, a kind of a mystical experience, while she was carrying him in her womb. And she saw a dog carrying a flaming torch in its mouth. And she knew that that, how, that somehow was prophetic with, regarding, with regard to the child that she was carrying in her womb. And she understood that the flame of that torch was the flame of faith. And he would be a great champion of the faith. But the, the, the fact that he was represented as a dog would indicate uh, that he would be completely devoted to his master. That he would be... So, so you might say Dominic would not even exalt himself to saying, I am the servant of the Lord, but I am simply even like the like a hound of heaven, right? Uh, kind of 
made famous by centuries later, right, by Francis Thompson, the magnificent poem, The Hound of Heaven. But Francis, uh, but I'm sorry, but, but uh, Dominic was a man who saw himself uh, not even as a voice crying in the wilderness, as, the, as uh, St. John the Baptist did, but he saw himself as that obedient uh, um, dog would look to his master and uh, and that was kind of the relationship that he, that he had there always there at his beck and call always there to do exactly what he asked him to do um, but never exalting himself above that role so we, we need to uh, we need men these days and women too but we need men these days to think of themselves in that very lowly way and not to exalt themselves to some great position um, in the service of God. We need to... There are those today, Tom, and this is something that's holding us back right now. <clears throat> those today in the church, they see what's happening. They're, they're traditional Catholics. They see what's happening and they actually have this kind of a delusions of grandeur that they're going, they're going to help save the church. They're going to do this, or they're going to do that, or they're going to provide this great service. Uh, and um, as though they're you know, going to convert nations or conquer nations for Christ or have crusades here or start these organizations that are going to grow, become like the mustard seed and grow throughout the world, you know, turn back the tide of godlessness and so on, and they're going to save the Church of God. And you know, that's a big mistake. Because people who think like that don't. And they never did. You look back in history, you look back in sacred scripture, these are not the ones God chose. He, they, he chose a Jeremiah, you know, who st stammered and stuttered, you know, and was kind of reluctant. He chose a Moses, right? He said, oh, not for me, this is not for me, right? And uh, time and time again, he, he chose the most seemingly unlikely character to lead, not the one who puts himself forward. And um, and there's a good reason because the one who puts himself forward will find his own will conflicting with the will of God, interfering with the will of God. That's why when God sends a messenger from heaven, he, he sends him to the children or the childlike, even if they're not children, they're adults, but they're childlike because they'll convey the message that heaven gave, not what they think heaven meant or should have said, but the, the message as it was given. This is what a messenger is for, right? And so God will send an angel who will reliably convey the message, as it was with the angel Gabriel. Or even today, in the past, as he sent our Blessed Mother, he knows she will convey the message, but she chooses those on earth who will convey the message reliably, humbly, and not edit uh, God's copy, you know, so to speak, to say, well, I think this is what God really meant, should have said. St. <laughs> Dominic again had that exact attitude that he wanted to be totally subservient to our Lord and uh, regarded himself as this lowly even dog at the foot of our Lord, like the Grigio to St. John Bosco who would be there always at God's service. That's, uh, I think that's quite a lesson for today in terms of what we need to be, how we need to regard ourselves because we need to see that this church is God's church. It's our Lord's church, and it's His to save. And He will save it, you know, and He doesn't need us to save it. Um, 
So we have to be very wary of getting into this mindset that, well, nobody else is rising up to save the church, so, you know, uh, uh, get get my armor on and get me on, uh, you know, the charger, and I will sally forth, and I will save the church for God and, and uh, bring it back to him. And you're going to wind up uh, in a very sorry state if that's, when you, when you look at how the saints uh, approached these great, great, great undertakings, they were the first to think of themselves as, themselves as the least worthy. And so they were always seeking counsel um, from wiser men, you know, and, and ultimately from divine revelation. So anyway, we have we have not only the feast of Saint Augustine here, but I mean Saint Dominic. Saint Dominic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, Saint Augustine comes later, but uh, we we have uh, um, we have on um, uh, August. 6th. We, we started. We started. Uh, you know, here with the. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it depends on where you want to start in the month of August, because yeah, there's yeah. so many magnificent feast days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you have St. <clears throat> uh, Peter's Chains, you mm-hmm. have, uh, well, you have commemorated St. Peter and St. Paul, and the Maccabees, mm-hmm. and the Maccabees of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. still celebrated in the traditional Mass uh, as real saints of God, you know. And we have St. Alphonsus Liguori, right? Mm-hmm. These magnificent saints, of course, Saint uh, Saint Dominic, we had uh, well, Saint Stephen, the first martyr, the finding of the body of Saint Stephen yesterday. Yeah. Um, again, the ranks of these feasts are not necessarily the greatest, the highest ranks, but the feasts are so powerful. And and, and you notice you, you find something on the feast of Saint Stephen too. I was reading this, um, uh, the the epistle uh, at the altar was taken to the Acts of the Apostles on August 3rd's Feast of the Finding of the Body of St. Stephen. And we find that St. Stephen, one of the first of the seven seven deacons, originally yeah. chosen, right? First one to die for the faith, being stoned to death by the Pharisees and all those. It was actually Saul, who had later become the, the apostle of the Gentiles, St. Paul, who was guarding the cloaks of those who were still stoning Stephen to death, and he approved of what they were doing. Right. But St. Stephen brought to his knees by the stones, implored God, when he saw our Lord, he saw our Lord standing, heaven. He said, O Lord, lay this not to their charge. Do not hold this against them, that they're killing me. He was praying for them, like the the example that our Lord said on the cross. The first of the seven words our Lord said when he he was on the cross, his father forgive them for they don't know what they do. And here we have St. Stephen, right? brought to his knees, and they're about to finish the job. And he prays, Father, lay this not to the charge. You're going to hold this against them, but they're killing me. You know, He's making this sacrifice, no doubt a sacrifice that is later going to be responsible for the graces that converts Saul and make him a Paul, make him the apostle to the Gentiles. But anyway, and it occurred to me, that's the kind of men we need. That's the kind of men we need right now. You know, you see these these um, uh, law law enforcement men standing there, so so stalwart, so stoic, and facing the lines of uh, protesters, so-called uh, would-be rioters, 
and they're screaming, you know, horrible language at them, right in their faces, you know, at the top of their lungs, and they're challenging them and and calling them all kinds of evil names, you know. And you need you need the Catholic man to stand there and actually be able to pray for the very angry person who's screaming in his face. Be able to stand there and actually pray for the very ones who were there screaming at them and wishing them, cursing them. Now that takes quite a special individual. It takes somebody with a great faith, you know. But that's what you need. You need someone like like that, like a Saint Stephen today, to be able to face that. The graces of conversion have to come from somewhere. And this would be a very good place to uh, find so many of those graces, you know. But that's the kind of a man you need, a Catholic man you need to lead the resistance to this, a man who won't lead the resistance to this evil out of, out of just anger and uh, personal enmity, but out of a real zeal for souls and the glory of God. So uh, I think not only in today's Feast of St. Dominic do we find a great example of what a Catholic man should be, especially in these times, especially anybody who's going to be to take a leadership position against the evils of the day. But I think yesterday, you know, the feast day of St. Stephen, provided a perfect example of that. I suggest that our, reader, our listeners go back and read the epistle of yesterday from the, from the Acts of the Apostles, from the Mass of August 3rd, and they'll see, well, I'm sure they'll see exactly what I mean. Now we have August 5th, we have Our Lady of the Snows, right? Magnificent feast day uh, that led to the found, well, actually an event a fall of snow in August on the Esquiline Hill in Rome that led to the foundations, <clears throat> what we now know as St. Mary Major Basilica. Again, that, that hits home to us here in America, too, because when you walk into that basilica on one of the great, one of the seven great hills of Rome, and you look up, what do you see? You see, the, you see America. You see the Americas on the ceiling. The first gold brought back by Columbus from the New World was used to adorn that basilica, the ceiling of that basilica. It was a tribute to Our Lady, an act of thanksgiving, you know, for a safe voyage. And um, so, uh, you know, that, again, I always feel somewhat close, close to home walking in, into that basilica there. And then we have the next day the Feast of the Transfiguration of Our Lord, right? Again, I mean, who could underestimate, who could overestimate the, the, the power and the beauty of that? Transfiguration of our Lord uh, before his apostles, right? Um, anyway, one could go on and on and on for <laughs> August. I mean, and I will, I know. We have St. John Vianney's Feast Day. We have St. Philomena's Feast Day. We have, there we have uh, St. Lawrence's Feast Day. We have all these powerful feast days. Uh, so if only we could, uh, uh, you know, attend Mass if possible, receive our Lord in Holy Communion if possible. We can always pray the rosary, though, and honor the feast day, but ponder the message of the saint. Because you know, every saint's life is like a parable. Every saint's life is like a sermon. But if we could ponder the meaning of the saint's <clears throat> life and how we could apply it to ourselves in our own day, now we'd really be getting somewhere in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. So, having just drawn down for quite some time, <laughs> I apologize and... Uh, I will give you a chance to get a word in edgewise. No, no, that's 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 quite all right, Father. I, I, I you know, one of the the reasons I, I mentioned that the the feast day of Saint Dominic is um, just 
because you know it can be so disheartening to to kind of just uh, follow the current events that are going mm-hmm. on. I mean, there's there's nothing good happening right now, so it can seem very bleak and very very depressing at times. And it seems you know that is exactly what the devil wants. He wants us mm-hmm. to feel depressed and and defeated. But if we could you know just kind of take a step back and and be inspired by all of these beautiful feast days. I think it would it would do a lot of good. So. Well, every one of them. Look at look at every one of these saints. Look what they had to fill up with. Look what they had to yeah. fight against. Yeah. You know? yeah. Look at what made them saints yeah. and made it clear that they were saints. You know, yeah. the great service they rendered to God in the face of great opposition, mm-hmm. hellish opposition. You know? And so you're right, Tom. I mean, we do need to take inspiration from them, courage from them. Follow their examples. What good does it do to us to think we're honoring Saint Dominic if we don't follow his example and, and take to heart the men, what he's calling? He wants to lead us forward here, uh, humbly, with all in all of his humility. <laughs> he wants to lead us forward. We also have on August twenty second the Imma- feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Okay. So I mean, it's a it's a, a month of, of unfathomable. You know, treasuries like this this enormous uh, treasury for us uh, and we can gain so much from that I'm hoping and praying that God will raise up in our own day leaders like Dominic like St. Dominic right and um, St. Alphonsus Liguori and so many others who uh, because heaven knows we need those notice that one of the worst punishments God could send in the Old Testament was when there was no prophet in the land. Right? It seems like um, that is kind of a punishment we we seem to have today, you know. And we need God to raise up that prophet. Uh, we need to be wary of those who say, oh, okay, I'll be the prophet. You know, take me, you know, like, like the kids in the classroom, the teacher, oh, pick me, pick me. Uh, but that's that's fine when you have a class full of kids who are eager like that. But when you have you know adults who say, "Well, I'll be the prophet," you know, well, who do you think you are? You can't you can't crown yourself the prophet. God has to call you to that. And uh, those who put themselves forward uh, need uh, need to be cautioned uh, because in the past those who have done that have not ended well. Now, God himself has to give that grace, and we have to pray for it. Here we have a beautiful month of feast days where we can pray for exactly that, that God will raise up. St. Hildegard talked about that. St. Hildegard, in talking about the future, talked about these kind of five epics that would succeed her. And she talked about what would characterize the various epics. But she said in the last, there would come... She just referred to him as the innocent one. And the innocent one would actually be the one who would overcome in the end. I mean, all the the godless forces in the world. And usher in a time of great flourishing of the faith. So we have to pray for that. You know, we have to pray for that. uh, Let's face it. I mean, if, if there is to be as she prophesied, there would be this one person who would be so completely... Well, if, if you see the Antichrist as one so completely abandoned to the power of Satan, where he, he has so utterly and completely dedicated himself to the will of Satan, then you see the innocent one right, as one who has just completely given himself over to the will of God. 
And this individual, in that regard, would be very much a kind of um, a very mirror of our Blessed Lady and her Immaculate Heart in the world. So we can see why he would have a, a real power, a real power over the forces of, of Satan, right? And that very innocence, that very innocence is the key to that power. And uh, so we, we can see a, a kind of an economy in a, you know, uh, big overall view of, of salvation, in the history of salvation, this is a very serious moment of the confrontation, you know, of the one who is the like, supremely guilty one and the supremely innocent one, you know, the world. Now, the point is, that supremely innocent one is going to be flesh and blood, like us, the human being, human soul. So, he's going to be the descendant of some people living in the world right now. I mean, his mother, father, his grandmother, grandfather, his great grandmother, grandfather, there must be in the world right now. He's going to have to come down. He's got to be formed even here, even in the world, as it is emerging now. So the grace of God is going to have to be very active there. Uh, so for that grace of God to triumph in that, even in that one soul, it's going to be quite a remarkable, it's going to be a miracle of grace. But. Um, He's going to issue forth from this human race, as fallen as it is and as corrupt as it is right now. We have to pray for that, all of us. So uh, uh, I just beg, you know, those of us who uh, realize uh, the power of prayer, but the necessity of prayer, to actually begin to pray as we really must, because let's face it, we're being backed up against the wall right now. Sure. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Well, you're welcome, Tom. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for being such a good listener. <laughs> no problem, Father. I got lots of experience. Thanks to all of our viewers. I won't tell Hannah. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>